Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, we're back for another episode of the Journey Within Podcast, and got a pretty special guest out and good friend Adam Bender today, and and we're going to dig into who probably has one of the coolest jobs in the outdoor industry, and we'll get into that as we go here. But I And I say that with all honesty, Adam. Um, welcome on today. Thanks, man. Glad to be here. Yep. So as uh, I guess you know what, before before we dig in, what what is your your job title and what specifically do you do with Cabela's and Bass Pro Club? Sure. So uh, I'm a club events manager um, for Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's Club. Um, I've worked for Cabela's previously and counting uh, since merger, uh, coming up on 12 years this July. Um, so what I do today as the club events manager is I manage basically all of the what we roll up as signature events. So we have two programs. We have Signature Outdoor Adventures and we have the experience and then kind of anything we do, VIP, special access, et cetera, for club members um, that have our credit card. Uh, that all rolls up to me and and my team, so it's uh, it's kind of convoluted, but uh, you're you're right. It, it definitely is an interesting job. Um, for face value, it looks uh, pretty pretty easy. Um, there's a lot of perks, but there there actually is an incredible amount of work that goes into it, putting together and hosting these trips all over the world. Yeah, and we'll di- we'll dig into that a little bit, but like a a preview. If you guys follow Adam on social media, it'd be like one day he's backstage at a Luke Bryant concert, the next day he's down in Costa Rica fishing, and then all of a sudden he's like behind the scenes at, at Leopold getting scopes made. So it's like you never know where in the world he's going to be, but it all looks awesome. So in the la- in the last couple months, we're just take the last three months. So what have you where have you been in the last three months? Yeah, so uh, back, starting back in January, I was hosting uh, our Georgia plantation quail hunt down in South Georgia. Uh, we've got a good friend down there who runs a, a great outfit and we, uh, host four, four quail hunts now back to back to back. So, uh, I took the first couple and Jordan took the second couple and then, uh, I had about a month and a half off and then, uh, just returned from, uh, uh, then I went to, let's see. So then I went to bear archery, uh, down in Gainesville, Florida in early March and hosted some club members down there for an incredible experience. You know, like it's, you know, if, if you hold a bow today, you know, largely that's because of Fred Bear. And uh, to be able to take these club members behind the scenes and Neil Bice, who, in my opinion, is a national treasure. Um, he's one of the last remaining strong ties to Fred Bear. And he's kind of running the Gainesville plant today. Um, I could just follow that guy around all day with a video camera and a tape recorder. Uh, when you go around that factory, it's very much like Fred left it. I mean, 1988, when Mr. Bear passed. They kept it very much like that, and we took these club members down there to build their own bows, and uh, then we went on a hog hunt, got to see the whole facility from start to finish, from from a recurve, from stock wood to, to a finished product. These club members got to see it all. Um, it's truly one of my favorite experiences because it really embodies, like, 
you know, like what we say, anybody can, anybody can buy a product off a shelf. Few can say that they've seen theirs made. And that experience is one of the ones that to me really sticks out because uh, club members do get to, you know, pull levers and push buttons and come out of that factory with a bow that they made. Um, sure, you could pick one up off the shelf at Bass Pro Cabela's, but you can't have one like that. And they do a really cool job of putting their name on the boat, put our experience logo and stuff like that. So so that's pretty cool. And then uh, April, uh, just two weeks ago, I just got back from Guatemala, hosted a big group of club members down there, 32 of them, um, down uh, with an outfitter of ours, and we did a sailfish trip. So Guatemala is regarded as a sailfish capital of the world, and we took uh, 32 club members down there for for four or three days of fishing, five days end to end. But just an awesome time, you know. First time deep sea fishermen. Uh, then we had experts. Uh, we caught marlin. We caught mahi mahi. Caught tuna. Caught hundreds, and I mean literally hundreds of sailfish. And uh, just an awesome group of people down there. It's like paradise down there. And weather was 90 plus every day. And calm seas two of the days. We had rough seas one day. But overall, everybody had a great time, caught a ton of fish, and uh, came home. And now I've injected myself right back into turkey hunting. Hey, everybody. June is another giant month for tag applications, so make sure to pay attention on these deadlines I'm going to go over here. State of Montana antelope, June 1st is the deadline. Montana has got some great antelope hunting. Make sure to check that one out. California follows that one up with all species deadline on June 2nd. If you're applying for all sheep and increasing your odds, which I recommend, if you're trying hard for sheep, make sure to apply anywhere that you can. California is one of the spots that you got to make sure to check out. Iowa, I'd say hands down the best spot to have a bow in your hand during the rut, chasing whitetail. Again, the Iowa whitetail deadline is June 4th. Following that one up is Idaho for elk, deer, and antelope on June 5th. And ending the month of June on June 14th, Arizona has deer, sheep, fall bison, and fall turkey deadline. Again, that's June 14th. As you can tell, June is a giant month for tag applications. Make sure to give the team at WTA a call and get applied. Draw that tag of a lifetime. Yeah, so as, as you guys can tell, Adam lives a life of uh, very few in the outdoor industry that he gets all those. Like, it, it, and like the cool thing about what you do, Adam, is like you listed three different type of experiences. They're like the behind-the-scenes stuff of factory is so unique. Mm-hmm. Like I talk to a lot of people that, yeah, they're hunters and they get to travel over, but they very rarely get to experience that behind-the-scenes type stuff. And that to me, that just fascinates me with, with what you guys do over there and those experiences. So as yeah, it's, it's- – Oh, go ahead. Like, at what at what part are did you start hunting? Was it something that your your dad or your parents got you out right when you were little, or when did when did you realize you had the bug and that you would do whatever it took to stay in that industry? Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, I grew up in a family that was hardcore hunting, fishing, camping. I mean, that's that's what we did. But I would say it really started for me with my dad. Um, I think he told me I was about three. And uh, growing up in, in northeastern central Nebraska, you know, pheasant hunting was kind of a, a rite of passage. And I would follow my dad around from the age of three with my little uh, Daisy Red Rider BB gun. And boy, any any uh, sparrow or chickadee that we seen, uh, it, got a, it got a BB thrown at it. Not a lot of times did it hit, but nonetheless, it was about the experience. And, you know, my dad... Um, you know, one of my biggest mentors because he involved me in everything and I literally was his shadow from the time as far back as I can remember till being a, you know, a teenager till being in college to being, you know, outside with my own family. Now, you know, my dad has involved me in everything. And now as a dad myself, you know, I understand all the extra work and all the extra time and frustrations and headaches. And I, I totally appreciate everything that he ever did for me because, I was always there as a kid. Like I can't remember very often times that I wasn't with my dad, whether it was deer hunting, walleye fishing, turkey hunting, whatever. As soon as I could legally do it with him, as far as hunting, like in the state of Nebraska, it was 12. You know, I was obviously toting a gun or toting a bow with him. But before that, even when I couldn't hunt, uh, man, I was just, I was his shadow. And he's really the one who created the passion and, uh, you know, like I said, as a, as a father myself, that's just kind of the way I live with, with my kids today. That's, uh, you know, I've never, asked, I've never asked you that before, but that is the exact spitting image story of how I got into hunting. Is my dad yeah. here in Michigan, we, we grouse hunted and woodcock hunted. 
but literally when I was three, he would bring me and I would walk alongside him watching our dogs work and, and like thinking about it, getting my kids in, into the outdoors and so forth. It was really genius because at the same time he was yeah. getting me tired and it, but it didn't matter how much noise I made or questions yep. I asked or any of that stuff. Like everybody asks, what's the, in your mind, what's the, the best way to get your kids or youth involved in the outdoors? And like, especially with this generation, like thinking about when I grew up in the, the late 80s, early 90s, it was so different than it is now because kids just have so much in front of them, so many opportunities. They start school young. They're in sports basically from the time that they can walk. How do you, how do you get kids into the outdoors? I know you do a great job of getting all your kids in the outdoors. What was how did you go about that? Like, what was your mindset when, when you had, when you had your kids and they were getting to that age, what was your mindset of the ideal spot to get them outdoors or how, how did you go about getting them outdoors? Yeah. I mean, I I think really what it boiled down to me was just doing what my dad did. And like you said, you know, it doesn't matter about, you know, bird hunting, you don't have to be quiet. You know, you don't, there's really no rules. It's not like going and sitting in a deer blind and, you got to be conscious of everything and don't move, you know, sit down, be quiet. Um, just immersing them in the outdoors and letting them have fun. And I remember mm-hmm. some like, like Cameron, uh, my oldest, she's nine. You know, I think I took her on, on our first, you know, air quotes, turkey hunt, I think when she was two and I still got a picture of it. And I, I set her in my lap and we went and sat up next to a tree and, you know, literally called and I let her mess with the call and she had some, we never seen a turkey, but it, it wasn't about seeing a turkey. Um, it was about just making her understand that this is what dad and mom do. My wife is very much involved in the outdoors and it's just what we do as a family. So naturally it's like, it doesn't make sense for me to leave and not take my kids because, Mm -hmm. you know, my kids get upset when I don't take them. And I think it's just because when it's what you do as a family and it's what you do together, whether it's fishing or camping or hunting, your kids naturally want to partake. And it's like, to your point in a day and age where, you know, technology and, social media and iPads and Netflix and all this stuff is constantly available to them. Sometimes parents look at it as it's hard to, you know, pull them away from that. And Mm -hmm. with us, it's just, we spend all of our free time as a family outdoors. So it's just, it's kind of, if you make it what you do as a family, naturally your kids are going to want to partake too. Yep. So are all your kids interested in the outdoors? I would say, you know, everything, Brooke and Cameron are my, are my two oldest and they have been hunting with me, fishing with me since they were literally babies. Um, Mm -hmm. I know you've seen the photos over the years of them being all bundled up, looking like Randy off the Christmas story, taking them out there deer (laughs) hunting when it's 12 degrees in Nebraska in November. But again, like getting something is so secondary to what it, you know, really matters. And it's just getting them out there and letting them understand that this is what mom and dad do. And, uh, you know, Skylar, she's my three-year-old. She had, loves to fish. Um, usually got to stop her from reeling them in because she likes bringing that hook all the way up to the eyelet. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and Lane, my son, who was just born uh, five months ago, you know, I, 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 uh, I look forward to the day that I get to inject him into the outdoors. And he'll probably be my youngest one that I'll take out because I've been chomping at the bit for a son for, for nine years. And, uh, yeah, can't, can't wait to get him out there. Cool. Cool. So as you, as you look back when you were growing up, do you have a favorite memory out there with your, with your dad? Yep. So I would have to say it's probably duck hunting. Uh, we had a neighbor growing up, his name was Ronnie Troffles. And, uh, I just looked up to this guy as kind of like a, a godlike figure, the way he could call ducks. And, uh, I didn't have waiters and I didn't have that, but I have vivid memories we hunted a place just south of where I'm from in Columbus um, called Clear Creek. And it's mm-hmm. a tiny little bottle of water, but right off the North Platte there, you know, where, where I lived, um, when, as soon as that would slush up and as soon as it would freeze, man, the, the ducks would pour into this warm water creek. And uh, I remember vividly some of my earliest hunting days. I remember my dad had given me piggyback rides across this little creek because uh, I didn't have boots and, you know, I couldn't set decoys and nothing like mm-hmm. that. But, I mean, we're talking wind, blowing snow, just terrible conditions. And, and here's my dad taking his young son out there. And I just, I remember sitting in that blind, watching in awe, you know, kind of, you know, the art of the duck hunt and watching these guys work ducks and shoot limits of greenheads in terrible conditions. 
And it just, it, it never left me. And I think that's why I fell in love with duck hunting because at such an early age, you know, I got, I was putting in charge of now I look back and I think it's kind of messed up, but I had to pluck all the ducks, which I thought was a cool responsibility <laughs> back then. <laughs> didn't, didn't even realize it was kind of forced labor for a child. And there you go. That's when you realized your dad was a genius. Absolutely. Especially yeah. it's one of those things that once you become a parent yourself, you're kind of like, man, that was really smart. Like messed yeah. up now that I look back, but back then, what a, what a genius way to involve your kid. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So as, now fast forward, do you have a favorite memory now going out with your kids? Man, that's really, really hard. Uh, I would probably have to say though, both of my oldest daughters, Cameron book and both their first turkey hunts. Um, I know you know this, and anybody who knows me that well knows I'm a uh, I'm a turkey hunting junkie. You know, I live for turkey hunting. I mean, it's just it's something that turkey hunting to me is what elk hunting is to guys that live in Montana and Wyoming. I I love turkey hunting probably more than anything. And both of them got their first turkeys. You know, when they were five years old. Nebraska has a great youth season structure that as long as they're with a you know a valid license holder that uh, has a uh, Nebraska firearm safety certificate and has uh, a permit for the youth, you can take them out. And uh, five-year-old little girls shooting their first birds with uh, my my dad. It was actually my dad's 410 that he got in the 60s, little break-opened uh, New England 410. Man, I don't know. I mean, my first one with Cameron was a couple years ago and had a whole flock of turkeys come in, and we're talking sub-five yards all around the blind, and I just let you know her kind of soak in the moment. And Tom's gobbling, spitting, and drumming. Hens are pecking the decoys. I mean, I'll never forget the way she looked at me. And I mean, she just couldn't believe that she was so close to these wild animals. Um, and you know, and, and they had no idea where we were there. And then finally, when the time came, you know, I I got her set up on the gun, and we got one of those bog pod. Uh, tripods and basically uh-huh. the guns all locked in so she don't really got to do much besides you know I helped her look down the barrel and I'm like all right keep it right here and you know and she pulled the trigger and you know first thing did, did I get him and I think just that excitement you know it made it real and Brooklyn's was the exact same way you know that was actually just uh, two years ago uh, went up with a, a guy actually who works for me went up to his farm back home and called this Tom out of a bottom and came in and 12 yards you know and just basically got Brooke lined up and got that first turkey. And, and I think what makes it so special for me is like seeing the excitement, but you know, my kids love to eat wild game cause it's just uh-huh. it's what we do. And I think that when, you know, they go out and hunt and they go out and fish, whether it's catching crappies or whatever, and then they turn around and, you know, they, they have that meal on the table. It brings that experience kind of full circle. Not only did, you know, they pull the trigger, set the hook, but they provided for their family. And there's a little bit of a, you know, kind of a feeling uh, accomplished. And I think that, you know, Brooklyn, especially, she was more excited to eat that turkey than the turkey hunt itself. And uh, she was telling her teachers about it at school and things like that. So we were getting emails from the teachers like, Brooklyn said she got a turkey this weekend. Is that true? And I'm like, yep, she's five years old and she got her first turkey and we ate him up uh, Sunday night. That's awesome. I know. So I got to ask you a question. So every time I'm out with my daughter, Michelle, it seems like I don't know I don't know what it is. I get more nervous when she's about ready to do something than when I when, when I'm in the field at all. Like anytime Absolutely. I just get so jittery when when she's getting ready to shoot on a deer now because she's to the point like the last 2 years I haven't had to help her at all get the gun set or anything like that. Like the first couple of years it's okay, help get the rifle set up on the on the bag and and like here's the deer, do you see it in the scope? I can't see it, let's adjust a little bit. Okay, you see it, you squeeze on the front shoulder. And now it's just like I'm sitting there with a pair of binos and get all deers out here and and she does 100% herself. And like I don't I I can't see down the scope. I can't I can't do any of that. It's just 100% trust that she sees it now. And can pull the trigger, and I don't know what it is. I just get so nervous. And like the videos where where we self film here in Michigan of her hunting, I get you can see it. Like I get so nervous. I get jittery. Yep. I get like I just get overwhelmed. And then all of a sudden, like when she shoots, and you can see it's like a good shot. Like I get I get so ha- like so happy. I get more happy with that than than when I'm out in the field. Like hands down. So when you when your daughters are out there, do you do you get that nervous, or are you you still that cool, calm, and collected? Oh no, I'm a mess. You know, it's like, I, you know, and to your point, like I want my kids to like need me. Right. But it's like, you Mm -hmm. want them to want to like have to have you to help. And, 
get them all, but you know, they, they kind of like this year, especially we went down to Kansas for their youth season with my girls and they went into autopilot. They, they knew exactly what to do just because they've been doing it for so long with me and watching me. I just kind of sat back and I'm like, are, are you, are you sure? Like, okay, make sure it's lined up and I'm talking to them and they're just kind of looking at me like, dad, I got it. And, uh, you know, and they're nine and seven yeah. years old. I'm just like, I'm like, come on, like I'm your dad. Like you should want to look to me as the expert and the person you look up to. But yeah, I totally see what you're talking about. And I'm, I'm, I was a nervous wreck this year and I, I still do get, even when we're fishing, you know, and I watch their bobber go down. I'm like, set the hook, set the hook. And, you know, <laughs> trying to get them to, and I'm trying to still make it fun and not be like an overbearing dad. But yep. yeah, I'm I, I'm way more of a mess when I'm with them, um, even even my wife too. Uh, you know, I'm way more of a mess with them than I am myself. So speaking of your wife, um, I got to ask the question: who ha- who has the biggest who has the biggest elk in your family? You or your wife? I figured this was coming. I figured this yeah. was coming. Yeah, you know the answer to that, and it's my wife. Uh, you know, she drew a very coveted Nebraska elk tag uh, two years ago. And, uh, you know, Nebraska elk, they're notorious for getting big herds, getting pretty big. They're spread out all over across the state now. And, uh, yeah, she shot a really big, pretty bull. Um, and that was one of those times where I was way more of a mess than, uh, than she was, uh, everything I've ever kind of taught her to do when it comes to hunting or fishing, she's ultimately done, you know, better than me at, you know, taught her how to fly fish. She catches more fish than me. Uh, you know, teach her how to deer hunt. She shoots a Boone and Crockett deer in Nebraska. Teach her how to elk hunt, and now look at that. And it's uh, sort of, I mean, I, I guess I just track it up to being a very good teacher. Um, maybe. That's there what I'm going to tell myself. There you go. That was, like, in the pictures you took of that bull, I mean, that's a phenomenal bull. Anybody that follows Adam on social media, I know you guys have seen this. If not, you should check it out. Like, you, you called it. That was one of the prettiest bulls I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely got a unique rack, and the way those six turn down and and you know point all the way back towards him. That's when we when the, the outfitter I went with out there when I knew she drew that tag. We he found that bull about a month before the season started, and we called him Handlebars because he. Uh, I don't normally typically like naming stuff, but this one made sense because he literally looks like a big set of uh, Harley like ape hanger handlebars. His his six turn all the way down, point back down towards his butt. Um, which give the appearance of his beams are, you know, shorter than they are. But it's just crazy that, I mean, if you've ever seen a set of whale tails on a bull, it's probably the best set of whale tails you could ever sculpt on an elk. And uh, that was just an awesome hunt, you know. And she got the elk hunt that she always kind of wanted, you know. In Nebraska, you, you know, a lot of these places, you know, hunt an elk in a cornfield. Um, but we went out way west in the unit that's way out on the Wyoming-South Dakota border and uh, rolling hills uh, with, you know, kind of canyons and stuff like that. And, called this bull and his harem at 18 cows into 80 yards and uh bugling glunking ripping up trees all of the cows looking at us and you know that was one of those times where it's like i'm looking at this huge bull and you know i'm tallying up inches and i know how big he is and i i just i i went into like panic mode and she's just all calm and collected and this whole, I mean, she got the, what, whatever the elk hunter dreams of, right? Like you want that experience of calling in a bull and putting on a show like that and called this bull in and she shot him at 80 yards and, uh, like that it was over. And, uh, That's yeah, awesome. I still to this day, I can't believe it. And you, you hit on earlier that Nebraska elk herd to watch what the state has done with that over the last couple of years has been really phenomenal. Like I, you can kind of judge how states do like it, this is how I look at it, what the governor's tags go for, for certain, for certain species. Obviously, Nebraska, the, yep. the bighorn tag is skyrocketed like crazy. But, like, the yep. elk tag, oh, my gosh, what that governor's elk tag in Nebraska goes for. Because am I correct that that's the only way a non-resident can hunt elk in Nebraska right now, right, is you have the, uh, one governor's tag that you can get there? They actually have two now. Uh, one goes up for auction for the Nebraska Big Game Society, and then they do one at SCI. Ah. And, gotcha. uh, and, and then a non-resident, if they're a landowner, they can get a tag. But as far as a non-resident wanting to come hunt, yes, that is the only way you can hunt an elk in Nebraska. And they, you're right. They're bringing big money. I think, I think, uh, the, the, the tag at the Nebraska big game society just, uh, two weeks ago, I think went for $89,000. And I think wow. the one at the one at, uh, SCI went for 77 or 78. 
Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very unique elk hunt. You got a pretty long season. You can archery hunt them or, um, hunt them with a rifle. And, uh, yeah, I mean, big, big bulls are getting killed in Nebraska for sure. Hey everybody, I'm a believer in using the best and that's exactly what Gunworks rifles are. They're the best in the market. If you're looking for accuracy and dependability, make sure to go check them out. Get that gun of a lifetime coming your way at gunworks.com. Hey everybody, I've been partnered and working with Bass Pro and Cabela's now for a long time. They're your one-stop shop for anything outdoors. Personally, I use them for all my camping and backpack needs for all my backcountry trips. Make sure to check them out at BassPro.com or Cabela's.com. Hey guys, are you into keeping your whitetail herd healthy and strong? Go check out Buck Bourbon and their full line of mineral and attractants. Personally, my favorite is 110 proof because I've had some great memories and great deer taken over top of it in the state of Kentucky. Born from bourbon, field tested, wildlife approved. Check them out at buckbourbon.com. And that's how you can tell the the quality of bulls and so forth. Like that's how I judge is what the auction tags go for in those states. Like that's that's where you can tell the trophy potential if they they start going up like Nebraska has been. It just tells you what that elk herd is growing into be there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you look back historically, I think even if you look as little as ten years ago, I think that tag was only bringing twenty, thirty thousand dollars. And yeah. now it's, you know, approaching a hundred. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely ticking in the right direction. So I know you've got, you do a bunch of hunting every year. What do you have planned coming up this year? So, you know, this year I don't exactly have a ton on the docket. I'll definitely be hunting deer, uh, here in Nebraska. I'm after a pretty big buck that he schooled me last year, uh, pretty hard. So, so try and get him this year. I actually am going to draw my should draw, you know, as long as everything goes okay. My Iowa deer tag. And everything else I did across the West, I, I just did points this year. Um, having, you know, four kids now and things mm-hmm. like that, I got to be a little bit more methodical about how I plan hunts. And uh, for myself, plus between work trips and things like that, it's uh, it's a little bit hard. You know, that's kind of the, the blessing and the curse side of what we do, right? Working in the industry, sometimes it's hard to get away for yourself when you're this involved with the nature of what we do on this team, but, uh, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to Iowa. I've been applying for points for many years and, uh, I'm excited to finally have one of those tags and, and go, go to the land of the giants and see what it's all about. Yeah. I was, I was special for whitetails. So if you had, what's your, what's your dream hunt? What's the, what's the one that you think about the most that you're like, this is, I'm going to eventually go and do this one. This is, this is the pinnacle of what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, I get that question all the time and it's so hard. Like being as fortunate as I have been to be in so many different places, it's, it's not one specific one. I'd almost have to isolate it down to the continents as you, as you could probably do, you know, because it's so hard to just say one. I mean, probably one is, I, I mean, I'd probably say Marco Polo and Tajikistan, I think would be, would be pretty special, you know, having known, I know you've been over there and done that. And I loved following along with that adventure and, I think uh, I think that one's very very high up on the list. I mean, I think if if I'm just gonna pick one, that's probably it. But man, there's so many others that I would probably put right there with it, from you know, uh, Bezor Ibex and Turkey to Alaska Yukon Moose to you know uh, a free range Cape Buffalo and Tanzania and uh, man, the, the list would go on. But usually when people say just one, you only get one. I'm usually like, yeah, probably probably Marco Polo. Yep, and all those are, and I think you hit it. Like, there's so many special hunting trips that are out there. Right. Like, not even like right. specific for a specific species, but just like trips. Like, especially when you get to Africa, think about how many oh, different yeah. locations you can go on that are so different from the other ones that are so unique. Like for for people that have never been to Africa. And like there's some sometimes they have this phobia about going to Africa or this mindset yep. of what Africa yep. is. But literally, I don't know of one person that I know that has gone hunting in Africa and ever came back and said, nah, that just wasn't for me. It's always coming yep. back and being like, I can't wait to get back over there again. Africa will change you. That is for sure. I think everybody has a lot of preconceived notions about Africa because of what they see, 
you know, mm-hmm. your package deal safaris where it's like, hey, come over for $3,000 and you get five animals, et cetera. I think yep. that sometimes paints a bad picture, but Africa done the right way. You're, I mean, you're right because I know you've been there numerous times, but when you go, you can't understand how much it will change you from the, the culture to the food to the scenery to the people to the animals. There's nothing else like it in the world. And that's when everyone asks me, what's your favorite place you've ever been? And I don't have to hesitate at all one iota it's africa every single time um because it just there is nothing else like it there's nothing else like you can experience that diverse culture and landscapes and and way of life and i still remember my first trip there dad and i went to south south africa it seems like that's that's the where everybody starts like that's the first safe trip to africa is you go to south africa to get the get the experience very rarely does somebody say like yeah i'm gonna go to tanzania on my first trip or ethiopia or any any of those places but i still remember our first day and it was and the travel over there at that time was long it was like the atlanta flight to joburg and then joburg we went to port elizabeth so i mean you're tired and time zones and all messed up and i just remember driving in to the ranch that we were hunting with the with the landowner and all of a sudden, a pack of blue ball monkeys ran in front of us in the car. And it was like one of the, I, like, I'll remember this until I die, but that was one of those moments of, I'm not in Michigan anymore. That just happened. Those are 100% wild monkeys just running across the road here like it's nothing. And for whatever reason, that that was like the opening eye of, holy smokes, this place is awesome. And that just set up for 10 days that hooked me on Africa for the rest of my life. Like, the, But that was the, the first. And like, I, if I think back of all my memories in Africa, I don't know why it was seeing that group of monkeys running in front of the car that just set it off for me. Yep. And mine, mine was very much the same way. You know, and my first trip was actually a Cape Buffalo trip. And just driving out to, to hunt Cape Buffalo and, you know, there's giraffes and elephants and zebras and all of these animals that I had only ever seen within the confines of, you know, the Henry Dorley Zoo in Omaha mm-hmm. are now living wild and free right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And it's like one of those I can't, iconic things that you just can't ever get out of your head when you see it. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's special. No, that's awesome. So when, how did you get started in the outdoor industry working at Cabela's way back when? So I started with Cabela's out of college. Uh, it was actually my, my first job. I started as a copywriter and I, uh, moved basically graduated and I moved out there and started as a copywriter and what a copywriter was and still is today. you know, you're basically exactly that writing all the catalog and internet copy for all of the products. So, you know, one minute you're writing about a pair of hunting socks, the next you're doing duck decoys and writing all of the descriptive copy that really sold the product to the customers. Um, so I, I, that was where I cut my teeth. You know, I was 21 years old, graduate, graduate diploma in hand and moved out to Sydney, Nebraska and spent three years out there. And then, uh, I actually left Cabela's and I moved up to Powell, Wyoming, right outside of Cody, outside of Yellowstone, uh, to where I went for work for uh guy and Ike Eastman at Eastman's hunting okay. journals. Um, and I started there, uh, kind of as their digital media, coordinator and uh, over a couple years ended up you know managing both Eastman's hunting drill Eastman's bow hunting drill hunting and filming for the for the tv shows and then uh the kids started in uh, 2013 my first daughter was born and you know that's a that's a tough uh gig when you got a family yeah. I mean you know that better than anybody and hunting and filming and as much as we were you know I I grew up one grandma a couple miles away and the other one the other way and I wanted to be back home closer to my family and, and raise my kids with a sense of family like I had. So mm-hmm. uh, came back to club in 2013 and been here ever since. Because that's the number one question that I get across all of my platforms, hands down, like not even a close second. What are ways that I could get started in the outdoor industry or how how do I get my foot in the door? What do I have to do? And it's like that question's one of the most broad questions that there is because yeah. it, it, first of all, I'm like, okay, when, and I, and I, these are ones I literally try to reply myself every single one that I get one of these questions, because I, I feel like this is a person that is truly like, you get a lot of, I, I get a lot of things on social media where I'm like, yeah, I'll answer that one. I won't answer that one. That guy looks a little crazy, whatever. But each one of these, like if you spent the time and a lot of them are detailed out messages, like a page written of everything. And you're like, this person truly wants to chase their passion. 
But when they yep. ask that question, like you, you just gave a perfect example. Like everybody sees somebody on TV and like, how do I become that guy? Or how do I, how do I get to go on the trips or, or book the trips or like be that? And I'm like, being in the outdoor industry is such a wide, wide spectrum of what you want to do because there's hundreds and thousands of companies. Think of a, a, yep. a Gunworks or a Benelli, Beretta, a Browning, like all these different companies. And then think about all the jobs underneath them. They're literally hundreds of thousands of jobs in the outdoor industry. And, and like, I, and I'll, I'll be honest, like you, I think you've got one of the coolest jobs in the outdoor industry, but look at how you started. You started sure. as a copywriter. Like if, if you think about yep. that, you started as a copywriter and then left for, for something that was a little bit cooler, but then had to come back home and you came back. Like when you came to club, what was, what was your title when you came back to club? So when I came back to club, I was uh, club promotions. Um, so that was a new area that they started where we were basically doing all the, all the deals and specials like gear guide and things like that for club mm -hmm. members. So that was where I started back at club and then just through a natural series of progression i watched what they were doing with events it was very young you know it was only a couple years into its life cycle and i just i knew that's where i wanted to be and i said i just got to ride this out and someday the opportunity is going to present itself hopefully and mm -hmm. uh and i did i left my management position and i went to be an events coordinator uh back in uh 2015 and, you know, I took a demotion, right? And everybody looked at yeah. me like, why? He was a manager. He had people it's reporting crazy. to him. And I'm like, yeah, but this is where my passion is. This is what I want to do. And I think this is a very unique opportunity. And, yeah, you now over the last eight years, uh, been been leading that team and built it up to, to what it is today. And that's like that. That's that's a cool and inspiring story for anybody that's listening that that truly wants to try in the outdoor industry and and get a, get a job in a position like Adam has is that, you know, sometimes you got to take a step back to go forward, but it's just that kind of mental and just keep fighting. Like I see what I want to do. That's what I want to do. And I'm going to figure out a way to get there. And a lot of times I say for people starting in the outdoor industry, a lot of them that message me are, are guys that want to be in the field. And I'm like, you know what, to be in the field in the outdoor industry, that's, that's fairly simple because every outfitter I know is looking for good guides. And, right. and then you get the message back, well, I've never guided before. Okay. Yep. Well, are you strong and do you have good legs? Because guess what? The right. first step before you become a guide and a lot, if you want to head up north is you can be a packer and to be a packer, yep. you know, really you just need to have the mentality that I'm going to get through this day to the next day, because there's a lot of what I say, grunt work, but you work from that packer because now all of a sudden you watch the guide every day. So you get that experience yep. in the field, like I'm watching the guide. And then all of a sudden you take that next step from a packer to a guide. And yep. how do a lot of the, the really great outfitters in the industry, well, they started as a packer, they worked into a guide, they guided for a period of time. And then all of a sudden they made that step to be an outfitter. Like they looked at everything that was going on and said, Hey, I can do that. And they have their yep. own mentality when they go off and, and they split off. And a lot of those guys are successful, but they, if, if you look at a lot of the old school outfitters, especially up North, they all started as a packer, like listening to those guys' stories of how they started to get to where they're at today. They all started yep. really low and worked their way up because you had to learn the experience. And especially in outfitting, there's really only one way to learn that experience. And that's getting in the field, experience yep. when clients come in, what it's like to prep for a season, what it's like after a season, what it's like when something goes wrong during the season and adjusting to all those things. You're exactly right. And I think if I look at a lot of the outfitters that I know, um, and even people throughout the industry, right? So like a lot of the people that we know that work for certain companies, they did not start at a C-level position. They did not yeah. start as a director of marketing. You know, they, I, I look at so many of the people that I know, and yeah, sir, you see them on social media, you see them going on hunts, you see them on Outdoor Channel, on Sports Channel, et cetera. You see all that stuff, but their story is not just, you know, ended up there, you know, in front of the camera. And I mm -hmm. think that that's just a testament to one of the biggest misconceptions, I think, when people say outdoor industry is you only see the faces, right? You only see the people yep. who the companies are promoting. You don't see all the people who are behind the scenes that are as important, maybe not if more than important, than who's in front of the lens. And I think that that's the, the biggest misnomer for me is when people say, well, how do you how do you strike it? You know, how do you strike rich? How do you get into it? And it's like, man, it's just, it's, it's work ethic. It's put your head down, you know, be a good person, 
network your butt off. You know, that's the, the one thing that I've invested more in than 16 years doing this is just networking. And, uh, and I think that when you do that, it's just like life, good things are going to happen. Exactly. No, that's a, that's very, very well put. Um, so when you, when you were at Cabela's, did you ever live in Sydney or did you live out yep. outside of Sydney? You did live in Sydney. How long did you yep. live in Sydney for? I was in Sydney for three and a half years, 2000. Uh, yeah. 2007, 2010. Yep. That's awesome. So the Sydney at that time was like a very close knit and unique town. And it, it's, it's back to that now, like, but I don't know for anybody that hasn't been to Sydney, Nebraska, it's, it's where the first store Cabela started and, and got yep. a rich history, but it's, it's in the middle of nowhere. If you, from, from my opinion, it's literally a couple hours from, from anything, but as all the guys in the office say, I can hunt four States within basically an hour. And then you see what these guys do and it's a hundred percent spot on They're They're South Dakota. It's Nebraska. It's Colorado and Wyoming all within an hour driving like, man, antelope season hits and they're hitting three different antelope seasons or whitetail season hits. And it's like, holy smokes, look at you guys or waterfall season and and pheasant season. Like it's that, that part of the location of Sydney is, is pretty cool. Yeah. There's not a lot right there, but there's a lot pretty close. And that was the unique thing about living there. And, you know, that was right in the, the boom of, of Cabela's is was when I was there and uh, throwing up tons of stores a year and just growing like crazy and yeah that town definitely revolves all around all around Cabela's and that's what that's what you did right I mean you hunt mm-hmm. fish work together that's what you did I mean from from uh, a text message that would start at three o'clock and say hey we're going to McConaughey tonight the walleyes are biting and there would be a truckload of guys that would drive over and fish uh, the dam at night to catch walleyes to hey we're going to shoot snow geese this weekend and it was just it was some of my i mean and here i am you know 21 years old and i just got injected into this culture and Uh yeah i mean i i definitely look back at some of those years as just like some of the things i did and people i met and places i went as just a young kid from eastern nebraska it was pretty special that's that's that is that is awesome. So on your schedule now with with club, how far in advance do you know what? Like I know you guys have got um, experiences and SOAs planned out basically a year and a half, two years in advance. But how far do you know your schedule in advance? Like which ones you're going to go on and, and host, and which which ones other people are going to go on? Usually we're about a year out. You know we're planning okay. we're planning like you said we're already planning SOAs and experiences out a couple years into 2023 some of them 2024 um, but usually we work on about a year out so usually the previous october november right when we launch all the new trips that's mm-hmm. when we kind of sit down and do all of the uh the paperwork and figure out who can go where who wants to do what and how can we make schedules work because you know it's a it's a lot you know we're 70 yep. plus trips now and uh and it, it's it's definitely no rest for the wicked sometimes sometimes it's back to back to back and which gets hard you know with young families and wives and things like yeah. that so uh that's why i stay back a little more than i used to don't go as hard as i used to and i uh, have the uh, the rest of the team go do that and pay them to go see the world well there you go and every, and they're kind of in that position you were 10 years ago of holy smokes yep. i can't get enough of this i just want to keep yep. going and going and there may be some yep. questions of, of of why do they why do you guys plan out so far in advance and and for me it kind of seems with our help at wt club events plan out that far in advance because where they go they're literally going with the best outfitters that they are in these locations and a lot of times the outfitters are booked out that far so that's why you guys literally lock in your schedule you do it the right way lock in your schedule a couple years in advance to make sure you go with not only the right outfitter but you're going in the right timing like if you're going to go on a on a whitetail hunt in kansas you guys are there smack dab in the middle of the rut like yeah we want the timing and everything yep exactly best dates and i mean it's it's still hunting and fishing oh yeah 100 percent yeah. I mean, it's still hunting and fishing, but we can't, uh, you know, we can't predict the future. Right. But we know traditionally, and these outfitters know when, um, the best time to be at their places. And that's what we try and secure. And that's why we're working so far out. And everybody will hear me say this time and time again, what, what is a, what is a great outfitter? 
a great yep. outfitter is one that can control the controllables. So what does that mean? Yep. It means that his equipment's top notch. He's in the best lodging he can for the area that he operates. He has the best guides, the best food that's available. Now, the best food, that varies depending on where you're at. Like if you're down in a jungle hunt looking for an isolated turkey, you're kind of limited on, on what you can get in and so forth compared to if you're on a, a quail hunt in Georgia. Like two, two yep. different spectrums, but you can still make sure that you have the best that is available. The, the one thing that outfitters cannot control is the weather. Like you yep. can't control the weather, but if they can control everything else leading up to that part, that's why they're so successful is they take all those contingencies out and just leave it be, okay, you're hunting the best spots and the best stands that are going to make you comfortable. You're coming back to a lodge that you're going to be comfortable at night. So you're rested for the next day. We've got a great guide with you. So the success is so much higher on outfitters that do it that way. And that's why they're so successful and they have so many repeat bookings and they're booked out so far in advance. Exactly. Hit the nail on the head with that one. You want to be, you want to be working with outfitters that you can't get into. That's yep, how you know exactly. you're working with the, you're working with the right outfitter. Yep, exactly. So I guess let's explain, take it, take a minute or two and explain exactly what Bass Pro and Cabela's club is. Like, I know you guys, you guys have got millions of members now, but I still think there's, there are people out there that don't exactly know what it is. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a loyalty program, right? I mean, that's basically, it's a credit card mm -hmm. that uh, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's offers that rewards people for spending money on that card by a, a point structure and using it in the, those points are about, you can accrue club points and you can then spend those points inside Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's, and to, to your point at WTA. Uh, you can earn these points by everyday purchases and we have like a two, three, 5% earn rate based off which card tier you have, whether it's classic silver or black. And then these club members can turn around and use those club points to further their passion for the outdoors. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's it at a 10,000 foot view. And that's where our program on signature events is kind of unlike anything else out there. There's, there's no, there's no one else in the credit card loyalty space that has a program like ours. We are kind of a standalone one. And that's because we have this customer base that has an affinity for the outdoors. So in 2010, you know, they decided let's, Let's start something that allows them to further that passion. They can buy the gear, they can do all that, but let's let's allow them to put these points towards something else. And that's yep. where Signature Outdoor Adventures was born. No, it's awesome. And to watch what it's grown over, it's been 12 years now, to watch what the program has grown to be over 12 years is amazing. I can't watch what the next 12, 12 years is going to be like too. It's so let's um, go ahead. Oh, one trip in 2010, you know, that's where it all started. And, uh, it's pretty amazing to be North of 70 now in 12 years. So do you know what that first trip was? Yep. It was fly fishing in Idaho on the really? Fork river. Yep. Fly fishing. Hmm. That was the first I would, one. I, Took I would out not a little, guess, a little I would not have guessed that. Yep. That was the first one. And like, it was interesting and just, we thought, you know, right, we're going after the fly fishermen, very niche, very, you know, bourbon, fine cigars and Orvis and right. That's who we're yep. going after. Eight out of the 10 who booked it had never picked up a fly rod before. And you instantly learned something right there. But they got this little postcard in the mail that said we were going to this five-star lodge in the Clark's Fork River, and it's, a, it's amazing amenities and a, and a lodge, and the food and the fishing is absolutely world-class. And we thought we were going after, you know, a certain client, but what we found out was a lot of people just said, well, I've always wanted to fly fish, and because it had Cabela's name on it and the, the lodging looked fantastic, the food, everything looked great, I said, why not? And I'd come here to learn. So, you know, eight out of the 10 had never picked up a fly rod before. And that really made us sit back on our heels and go, boy, we went about this all the wrong way. We thought we were going after this very specific client. Um, mm -hmm. And then we got something else. And that's really what paved the way for us to get very diverse in our offerings. Because, you know, so oftentimes the, the term bucket list gets thrown out there. But what it taught us with Signature Outdoor Adventures, like, it might not have to be a bucket list. It may be a pheasant hunt in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. But somebody's always wanted to go. And uh, so why not put it together? And, you know, then it just started to snowball and pheasants turned into elk, turned into ducks, and then it turned into international. And now we're at 70 plus in 2022. 
So you listed, so we've, we've been mentioning SOA. So SOA stands for Signature Outdoor Adventures um, in club. So I guess list a few, like rattle off 10, 12 past ones that, that you've done. So I know there's Holy 70 smokes. combined booked this year, but just list yeah. off some of the some of the ones that like you think Arkansas ducks and like some of those, but like, just list off an example for everybody so they have an idea of what types of trips. Okay, so we've got Utah elk, New Mexico elk, Montana mule deer, Yukon moose, uh, Alaska salmon and halibut, uh, Guatemala sailfish, Costa Rica tarpon, Belize bonefish, Mexico oscillated turkey, uh, Kansas turkey, Kentucky turkey, um georgia plantation quail uh we've got uh new mexico antelope saskatchewan bears um newfoundland moose uh maine sea duck um i'm just staying in the in the Liz. states and kind of western right now then to get over yeah. and then we got you know spain ibex and uh everything and anything in africa new zealand uh mongolia uh, um germany uh, for roe deer and red stag, I mean, it's just, I'm doing this all off memory. I'm kind of jumping yeah. all around, but it's crazy how far this has gone, um, with, with everything that we've done. And there's so, so many that I'm missing, like core ones, like, you know, we do Texas bass, New York, smallmouth, uh, South Dakota pheasant. Um, it's absolutely wild, you know, how diverse this program has gotten, you know, from one trip in 2010. And literally cover the spectrum of big to small, fishing, even even fishing, big fish, small fish, I mean, fly fishing into into sailfish. Like the program literally covers everything. And from my perspective, how can you tell it's it's so successful is when you guys open up the booking for the for the next year, like on those dates, the amount of calls and how many sell out within the first couple hours of the day is yep. it's truly amazing. I don't know if people realize that, but when you guys release those, the amount of these trips that literally sell out before noon on the first day because the demand is so high. Like there as a as a business owner, there's certain things I look at to say, okay, this is a successful program or this company's doing things the right way. Like I look at that when you guys release the experience in the SOA trips and how many sell out within the first half day, you're like, okay, they're doing it right. Like, look at the demand. Look how many guys come and do this, guys and girls. Look at how many come and do this. And the majority of them are repeat. Yep. They've gone on one trip. They've had that experience. They had such a good time. They love the host. They love everything about it. Now I'm going to go try this one next year. Or some guys yep. do two a year. Some guys do yep. three a year. Like, it's, it, it's like that is, it tells the quality of the program that you guys have put together as, as you've been growing it. Well, I mean, I appreciate that. And then, you know, WTA has been a big part of that. And, you know, even, even going back into the, to where this all started, you know, Outdoor Adventures was a gigantic part of the success. And yeah, you're right. I mean, when we do launch these, I mean, I think people can't often comprehend how fast they sell out, but for perspective last year, when we launched, uh, October 15th, I believe it was, um, in two days we were 95% sold out of all, I think we had 640 spots available and, uh, and that's just SOAs. So that's just signature outdoor adventures. That's not even the experience stuff. And it's, uh, we have a great supply and demand problem. If you're running a business, yeah. uh, sometimes customers don't like it, but it is what it is. And yeah, you're right. You know, over 60% of our business is repeat. Um, we got a lot of customers that once they go on one and they feel how special it is from the, from the hosting to the professional photography, to the exclusive dates. Um, I think that's where we've attracted a, a, a group of customers that have said, man, I'm, I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to keep going on these signature outdoor adventures. And we've got people now in the portfolio that have been on over 25 trips. Wow. So what's a, I know you get a ton of client feedback. What's your, what are some of the ones that stick out or what's the average client feedback that you guys receive after, after a trip? Yeah. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it is still hunting and fishing, right? So it's not yep. always about success. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously everybody strives for success, but I would say the thing that we get told more than anything is just the attention to detail and the level of customer service, you know, from, 
from customs forms to getting your gun into the country to helping mm-hmm. you what to pack to helping you what to expect to navigating international travel to, you know, handing them over to a customs broker to get their trophies home. There's a yep. lot of things that come with hunting and fishing and travel that people are often left to figure out themselves. And outfitters are busy, you know this, and sometimes they don't are, are not the most responsive to mm-hmm. getting those questions answered. And some of these clients are very, very detailed and they got lots of questions and, you know, borderline, I don't want to say it, but, you know, sometimes needy. And that's yep. where and that's where my team and I, we take that all off the outfitter. Um, so they know that my team and I have it. So when we show up to camp with our club members, you know, all the pre and post work is handled by club. And that makes it great for the outfitter too, because then they've got, they get to focus on what they do best, right? Which is basically getting people into their camp and putting them on animals or fish and we take care of the rest. And that's, and it does. So that if you think about it, one of the, one of the thing, most clients that book with an outfitter are, are so hesitant to reach out to that outfitter with questions. Because a lot of times they don't want it to be a stupid question. And I go back like all the coaching years, there is no question. That's a stupid, stupid question. There is absolutely none because it's your first time doing it. So until you've experienced it, you just don't know. And a lot of times those outfitters have run thousands and thousands of clients through over their 20 or 30 years. And they just kind of look at it as second nature. Like they don't, they don't think about it that somebody doesn't has never experienced that before that, that is wondering what the stand's going to be like that they sit in. Like, yep. Do I need to bring my own cushion? Do I do I need to do these things? Like, there's a lot of that to where you guys just simply handle it, and that's why I think you get that, especially the the repeat clients that come back because they just know everything's going to be taken care of. You're going to give them the information packet with everything. If they have any questions, they're, they're to the point they can probably literally text you now at any point of the day, and you'll respond back to them if if you're the host on that trip and so forth. It happens all the time, Mark. You know, somebody will be in a Bass Pro or Cabela's and they'll be buying a new pair of boots and they'll literally text us or call us and it's seven o'clock at night. And that's when people, that's again, to the point earlier about, man, you got the best job in the world. It's like, yep, but Mm -hmm. it also is a lot of work that you don't see. Like, yeah, you see what's on social media and the fun and the photos and the high fives, but there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. And, you know, my team has an expectation, you know, good or bad, but your phone, your email are never shut off. If you're available, you take care of that customer. And if somebody calls, cause it's happened to all of us over the years and they're seven o'clock at night and they're deciding, do I need to buy this boot or this boot? And they're just saying, Hey, I'm going to call my host. And they call the host and the host says, well, you know, I'd look at this one or this one and kind of here's why we automatically yep. just gave that customer a touch point that probably no outfitter would have done, you know, at mm-hmm. seven o'clock at night. Um, some would, but uh, if they were available, but at the end of the day, that's the expectation that my that I have for my team, and I think that's what has created such a successful program is that attention to detail and always being willing to go above and beyond when it comes to customer service. Well, not only success in the program, like I'll even go back to like an individual now. So like go back to the question, how do I make it in the outdoor industry? How do I get to do this? Like that's the level of commitment that you need to make just in, in life in general to keep, yeah. like, keep striving, keep improving. Like the people that just say, okay, it's four 30, I'm out of work. I'm shutting my phone off. I'll, I'll see you guys at eight 30, nine o'clock in the morning when I start to sing back up. And then all of a sudden 25 years go by and they're like, man, I really didn't really didn't make it to where I, where I thought I would. Well, yep. no, you, you literally shut it off. Yep. I, I did a podcast with Aaron Davidson from, from Gunworks. And he was telling me there was one night that he had, he had a client called him and it was like six fifty at night. And he answered because he goes, same thing. If anybody calls me, if I'm available, I'm going to answer. I'm in, I'm in the business I, and customer service is number one for successful companies. And the client hopped right into, hey, I've got, so if I'm looking at a 720 yard shot, I'm, I'm got wind coming from the right on this, like what, what do I need to do? And Aaron just said, he didn't lead in with anything else. He just led in, in with that information. So Aaron kind of coached him. He's like, okay, if you're going to look to do this, he got him set up and, and how he's reading the Mirage and he got everything set up. And he goes, the next thing I know, the client said, okay, hold on one second. And he no Aaron's is on the, on the phone. He goes, I can hear the phone get set down. And all of a sudden you hear, no. and the client goes back on. He goes, the shot was perfect. Aaron's like, I had no idea you were actually setting up in the field for this shot as you called me. 
That's like, just, awesome. Just like think about that. That guy is hooked for the rest of his life because yep. Aaron, the owner and founder of Gunworks, literally picked up that call and talked him through. And Aaron, at the time, he goes, "I had no idea that he was getting set up. Otherwise, I would have been even even more intense with him. I thought he was just asking a, a regular shooting question to keep learning." Right. <laughs> but you know, and that 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 guy, you know, that customer now went and told his ten buddies or oh, more. Yeah. And, yep. and, and naturally, you know, when people come to expect that level of customer service, I think it really says a lot about a company and that, and that's what we strive for. And that's why I always tell my guys, you know, always go the extra mile because it's a lot less crowded. Exactly. Exactly. That's a, that's a good line right there. So that we covered the SOA. So on the experience trips, explain, explain the difference between an SOA trip and what an experience trip is. Yeah, so signature outdoor adventures are purely that, you know, core, hunt, fish, you know, backpacking in Colorado, et cetera. That's, that's what it is. Uh, but you get your host, you get your professional photographer, et cetera, the whole works. Now, the experience is different in that this is all about access to behind the scenes to the best of us brands in the industry. So you said earlier, you know, we take a group up to Beaverton, Oregon and let them build their, see how a process is made from a scope, from raw material to packaged up and out the door to taking people to Beretta Benelli in Italy and seeing how shotguns are made. Um, it's all about access. Now, usually with an outdoor brand like that, there is some type of activity that is re that revolves around that brand. So, uh, you know, like we in Italy, when they go watch shotguns be made, uh, we took them on a pheasant hunt. Um, mm -hmm. And when we go to Italy or when we go to uh, Austria and Swarovski and see how those are made, you go on a chamois hunt. Um, so it's all about access. And what it is, is the, the, the nature of the program is same in that you still get your host, you still get your professional photographer. Usually there's some type of branded activity, but it's all focused about the brand. So we partner with the best of the best brands from boats to fishing rods, lures to electronics to guns, ammo, everything in between. And what we do is we give people access that you just can't get anywhere else. You know, you cannot walk into um, a rifle manufacturer and say, hey, I want to build my own custom long range rifle today. But with mm -hmm. us, uh, you do get to do that. And that comes from a lot of relationships that we have, you know, being in business as long as we have as, as Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's, we have those relationships to call up a company and say, hey, we want to bring in some of our very best club members to come experience what it is about your brand and you get an opportunity to create brand advocates for life. Well, it's a no brainer. You know, these customers know about the club member and they know the buying power that they have. Um, so yeah, it's a way for them to come in and, you know, show what makes them and their company so special and naturally to, you know, to the, to the gunworks point, you know, that one guy goes home and he talks about his rifle or his shotgun or his fishing rod or boat. And he goes and tells everybody why you should only buy X brand. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So I know you listed a few. What are some of the other experiences, or I guess what are some of the experiences you've got set for the next year? So, uh, boy, that's that's a lot. So we've got a lot in the firearm space, um, you know, Sig Sauer. Mm -hmm. uh, we do Benelli. We do Browning, Winchester, Nosler. Uh, we've got Hornady experiences. We've got Federal Ammunition experience. Um, then you get in the boat space, we got Nitro, Tracker, uh, Ranger, we're working on some stuff with the saltwater brand, Mako. Um, and then you get an archery, we've got bear archery, we've got an Easton experience in Utah where they go watch how carbon arrows are made um, and then shoot up at the Total Archery Challenge. We've got uh, Raven crossbows up in Superior, Wisconsin. Um, just very, very diverse. Um, and then we've got, you know, very specialized, very niche ones like our shoot like a girl experiences. Shoot like a girl is a company that was founded a couple of years ago, very big about advocating for getting women in the outdoors and handling firearms. And we do a couple experiences with them every year are actually, we just wrapped up our shoot like a girl experience for our Kansas Rio, um, where we went down to uh, Kansas and took eight ladies down there and got them their first turkeys. And we got another one coming up this fall up in South Dakota, um, 20 ladies go up there, get a whole big gear package and, and learn how to pheasant hunt with a great outfitter friend of ours up there. That is, and it, you, you did mention a good one. Anybody that hasn't checked it out yet, shoot like a girl is an absolute fabulous program that, that they put together. Like that is, that's one of the ones I support strongly in the outdoor industry. They do everything the, the right way and for the right reasons. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's genius. You know, women gun ownership is one of the fastest growing demographics in the shooting sports right now. And uh, they've got a very niche thing right there. And I think that it is absolutely imperative that, that we partner with them uh, because we're a good fit for them where, you know, they have a model that started as a retail model where they had a trailer and tow it to events and things like that. And it's about sh- shooting sports and getting women activated. And then we've got our experience with the signature outdoor adventures and the experience program. And it was just a, it was a natural match and uh, we've had a lot of success with those and those events to your point earlier are some of among the first to fill up when we offer a brand new shoe, like a girl experience, they fill up darn near immediately. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So Adam, thank you for coming on today. As always, it's great. I can't wait to actually see you in, in person again. So do you still pinch yourself while. every day? You, you still pinch yourself every day you wake up that, that this is what you get to do. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, I, you know, like I said, it's, it's, uh, been blessed to do a lot and, uh, travel all over and meet a lot of people. Um, but it is absolutely, uh, one of the greatest jobs in the world. And it's like, I tell everybody, it's not because of what we get to do. Um, it's who we get to do it with. And, you know, yeah. even like all the guys and gals at WTA been friends a really long time and worked alongside of them a very long time. And it's, it's pretty special when you get to create something that with have as much success as what this program has have and, and seeing it grow and uh, just being a small part, you know, of the, of the success is, is absolutely one of the most rewarding things for me. Yeah, no, it's great. It has been a, time, a minute since we've seen each other in person, hasn't it? Because we had the I normally know. we see each other for about a, a month and a half straight at all the shows, and then we had COVID. And this past year, I, I so this past year, I don't know if I told you, I didn't make it to any shows this year because I was in the middle of coaching girls basketball of all things. So I, there you I, go, got that that dad life. Yep. So we had games on Tuesday and Friday at, at high school. So it was virtually impossible for me to make it to to any of the shows this year. Next year, I gotta try to figure out how to get to at least a couple of the the major ones while still coaching. So that's that's on my side to try to figure out how to do that. It is a struggle when you got the family for sure. Yep. But I look. Our my youngest is six years away from leaving the house. We've got our oldest that's one year away and one in the middle. So, I mean, six years, all of a sudden I'm staring at being an empty nester over here and having more time than I know what to do with. You're I know. On, I you're think on that's the why we, we just, yeah, well, I'm on the complete opposite side of the spectrum. Yep. Every time you got, you guys start to get close, it's about time for another kid over there. So <laughs> we're done now. I promise. You're, you're done now. All right. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on today, Adam. No problem, man. Thanks. Be good. Thank you everyone out there for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.